Hello and welcome to this week's episode of Uncorked with Funny Wine Girl. This is Funny Wine Girl, aka Janine Luby. And I always like to show you or talk a little bit about what I'm drinking because, you know, I started this podcast and a lot of people thought it was going to be all about wine. In fact, when we get to my guest tonight, she was like, do I have to drink wine? And I almost felt bad because I'm like, oh my God, like, I don't know. That's not a prerequisite. I told her she could drink orange Fanta. And um, I, so we'll, we'll find out in a minute what she's drinking. I am drinking a Spanish white wine tonight. I will tell you a lot of times. And for those who watch on YouTube, I always like to show my uncorked with funny wine girl mug that says on the back, if it's morning, this must be coffee. I'm usually drinking coffee anymore when I record these and I'm double fist in it. I've got coffee in here, which you'd think I'd learn because it's 639 and I know I'll be paying for this later because I was the other night. And in my wine glass, I have a Spanish, um, oh, I knew I was going to forget, oh, Verdejo from the Rueda region of Spain. And I did not take Spanish. So if I totally made a mess of that, I apologize, but it's a nice white wine. It's similar to a Tarantis. It was a lovely recommendation from the fella at Wegmans the other day, 4 p.m. on Valentine's Day. That's where I was because I like to be good to myself. And I was getting sushi, which, by the way, I think was the cause of my abdominal pain in the evening. But we won't get into my distress of uh, intestinal distress because no one wants to hear that. Not even me. And I was experiencing it anyway. So I am excited. Uh, you know, I got to stop saying that. That's becoming like my tagline. I'm so excited about my guest this week. I can't help it. I won't apologize, damn it, because I am excited about my guests every week because they're fantastic people. And I'm sorry, they just are. So I am excited. Um, this My guest tonight is Gab Bonesso, and I met Gab virtually. And of course, we should all be used to that nowadays with the pandemic. Uh, some people I feel like I finally met someone today that I'd only had Zoom meetings with for the past like four or five months. And it was so weird, though, because I did feel like I knew her. But I digress. So Gab Bonesso is someone I met virtually. She was a public speaker during the month of May, which is uh, Mental Health Awareness Month. The local chapter where I'm at in Scranton is the National Alliance Mental Illness Chapter is the Northeast PA chapter. Marie Onikevich is the executive director. She had uh, she was having support group, different type of things and, and events that were open to the public. Gab was a speaker. She was sharing her story um, with mental illness and she was sharing her humor. She is hilarious. And I was so glad that I got to connect with her there. And I've been following her on Instagram. You should too, because she's freaking funny and she's full of high energy as opposed to full of low energy. I, I hate when I say things like that. Anyway, she's full of medium size energy. No, it's, it's high energy and she's a mental health advocate. She's really funny. So I would like to introduce Gab Benesso. Welcome Gab. Thank you so much for having me. Like when we met a year ago, I was like, we will be friends for always. And now <laughs> it's like really happening. I'm so happy. Well, and I, of course I fangirled you. I'm like, it's like a little total. I'm like, she's going to think I'm like a single white female, like weirdo. I was like, I love your haircut. Like what the hell am I even saying? <laughs> I would think comments like, go like for your running. And I'm like, she probably thinks I'm some weird public speaker who like just gloms onto the audience. and has no friends. But, but I also have to say, we have to be besties because Wegman sushi, I'm sorry, it poisoned you is like my favorite thing in the world. And we don't have Wegmans in Pittsburgh and I love getting anywhere I can be near Wegmans. So your Valentine's is, Day is perfect. It is good stuff normally. And you know what? Okay. And I, again, this is not about me, but I want to say quickly, this is, I was raised Catholic and I don't want to go down this path. My, uh, I think women apologize too much. We're too meek, at least for me and what I've seen and Catholicism. So a lot of times I don't want to be in the way of people. I don't want to inconvenience people. There was a guy standing in front of where I, I normally like to look. And I did that like, oh, someone's down there. I'll just take this spicy shrimp. And it was spicy shrimp. 
uh, brown rice quinoa. I don't normally eat that. I like the shrimp tempura. I'm not going to blame the sushi because it could have been anything. I had hummus. I had wine. I had coffee an hour later. It was a hot mess. And I think there was some rumbling going on in my tummy. So it's my own fault. But in any case, yeah, their sushi is great. And I'm sorry that you don't have Wegmans in Pittsburgh. <laughs> really? It's, I wish we, I would trade every Whole Foods for Wegmans, honestly. So now you have to come to the, the east coast of Pennsylvania. So let's get started because I don't want to make this about me. I want to talk about you and all the great stuff that you're doing. Um, you are doing shows for adults. You're doing them for kids. Do you want to say, I guess the best way to get started so people understand a little bit more about you. You're from Pittsburgh. You're in Pittsburgh. What is it that led you to be a mental health advocate and to use humor. I know that you've, you shared your story when I saw you speak and, and, um, but I'd like my listeners to hear, to hear it as well. Sure. Yeah. So I, um, had gone to college at Duquesne university and I, I majored in theater. And while I was in college, uh, my father died of cancer and I, um, I had already gone through a trauma as a little kid that I'd never really got help for. And his death kind of just catapulted my bipolar into full blown mode. So after I graduated college, I was finally starting to get therapy and I also started stand-up comedy. And I'm just someone who, you know, I grew up loving like Nora Ephron and she would just say like, everything you see is copy, you know, write everything down and that's comedy. So I would talk openly about my father dying, about grieving, about, and as I was getting diagnoses, like being diagnosed with bipolar disorder, I would openly talk about having bipolar. And the next thing I knew, just publicly talking about it, my stand-up, people were like, oh, so you're a mental health advocate. And I'm like, oh, well, well, yeah, I guess, kind of. Like, I didn't intend to be that way. Um, and then the kids performing, I uh, was my mom's caregiver. So she started having health problems in my late 20s. And I moved back home and I became her, her like, main gal, took her to every doctor's appointment. When she had wound care, did all the wound care. Like, we were, I was her girl. Um, and during that time, it made it really hard to travel outside of Pittsburgh a lot to do stand-up. Like, I had been going to New York, like, every weekend prior to that. And so um, I created a kids show, an anti-bully kids show with a friend of mine who was in a band in Pittsburgh. We're called the Josh and Gab show. And for we've been doing it now for 10 years wow. and we go to schools all over. We've been to like 20 different states, Mexico. Um, it's a, an all original music, um, anti-bully show, just promoting kindness, empathy, understanding. And um, all the stories are stories that happened to me when I got bullied as a kid. So I share all, like sort of what I do with mental health stuff. I just do that with for kids in uh, anti-bully. But in that show, we do music. So I get to play drums and I get to rap and sing and run all around like the crazy person I am. So they can all I ask? how that went in Mexico. I don't want to stop your trace that like, I mean, cause that's just different that you were able to go outside the States as well. I feel like you're, you will appreciate this. So we get this random message from a man who's running a festival in Monterey, Mexico. He wants to focus the whole festival on anti-bullying because in Mexico, at least at that time there, they didn't believe in anti-bullying. Machismo does not allow for anti, like anyone, you know, you're allowed to be a bully, I guess, in Mexico. I don't know. So this guy was like, <laughs> we want to do something different. We want to, we want to, this will be the first time there's anti-bully in Mexico and we want you. And my business partner is more of our, like the business guy. He went to school for finance. So he kind of handles all that stuff. And he was like, uh, okay, like, can you give us some details? And like, the details felt weird. And and so Josh came to me, he's like, do you want to do this? And I'm like, yeah, why not? You know, like, I don't even think. So like, as it was getting closer, we're like, where are we staying? Where are our plane tickets? And this guy like sends us our plane, Texas, put us up in this amazing hotel in Monterey, Mexico, where they put up Lady Gaga. 
we're like, is this for, and then we start getting like, we're getting tricked. Like Josh and I were convinced we're going there to get kidnapped. Like it got to a point where I'm like, it's like the three amigos. It's, you know what I mean? Like we got this letter, the infamous El Guapo and that's who we're going to go to a kids festival. So like the mania, the panic, but then we got there, the man who booked it was named Andreas. He was lovely. He treated us like we were way more celebrities than we ever will be. And, uh, and it was, but all the kids spoke Spanish and we don't sing in Spanish. So it was, I don't know how much of it they understood, but it was, um, yeah, it was a really cool experience. <laughs> well, that's cool. <laughs> all right. Now I derailed you. And so the anti-bullying has been going on for 10 years, but you also recently, very recently, I guess, started a kid's show about mental uh, health and wellness, right? Yeah. Well, I, so I've been, I've been doing these mental health talks and every client that like hires me to do a mental health talk, they always kind of want it geared differently. So I kind of have to like be willing to sort of take it in a direction that my story will work for them. And I worked with a client last year, uh, PA Cares, they're sort of for the whole state of Pennsylvania. And they wanted to invite me back and they had been noticing that I do performing for kids. So they were sort of like, could you do a talk about kids and mental health? And I was like, well, yeah, I mean, I can tell you my story but I think there's a much bigger story here. And that's how I started doing a YouTube uh, series basically called The Kids Are Not Okay because the um, American Pediatric Society de declared a state of emergency in youth mental health. Hmm. And all, you know, there's a teacher shortage, a social worker shortage, nurse shortage, like the people who are there to support the kids are, are leaving their jobs and I'm just really worried. So I just wanted to start like kind of like an ongoing conversation where I read articles about it, talk about it, give my opinion, but also start bringing in guests, talking to kids. And ideally some of those interviews I'll use in my talk later in May that I present for PA Care. So that's sort of how it all kind of, this little new project kind of came about. So the YouTube, like, so the YouTube that you have is the kids are not okay. And that is directed for kids. So kids are the audience or even adults too. I feel like it's both. Um, Cause I I've had kids come to me and be like, Gabby, thank you so much for making this. Thank you for actually saying what's going on. They we're not okay. You know? And then I have adults who are in schools, like teachers who are like, yes, it's horrible, but we're, you know, and then they tell me how bad it is for them. Um, but I actually think it, I would love more parents to see it because I think, you know, parents are so bogged down by what's going on with them. You know, they, it's a horrible situation for everybody, but they're, it's their kids. You know what I mean? So I, I really hope parents see this and, and understand like what their kids are going through. This isn't like normal. This is a whole different world these kids are living in. And I just, they need compassion and understanding and resources. And I just think there is still such a stigma about mental health. And so if I can make a video every week, just being like, mental health is cool. It's okay to go to therapy. There's nothing wrong with you. And, you know, and other reminders and just letting kids know that I see them and, I don't know. It's just, it's just a thing to do that I think maybe could help. And, and then hopefully I'll get research that I can use for my um, talk in May. So, so it's a talk in May, but you're all, I mean, you're available. Like if any school wanted you to come and, and whether it was the anti-bullying or the mental health, you would absolutely be able to go there, share, you know, something entertaining and informative at the same time. Without a doubt. Yeah. I, um, that is, that's, yeah, that's my full-time job. I will go to any school, any, any place that will have me, whether it's for a mental health talk an anti-bully assembly or a comedy show, just pure comedy. I don't have to put my agenda. That's a lie. I'm always getting my agenda in. I cannot do stand up and not try to raise some awareness. Cause it's just, that's like, you get a stage and you get a microphone, you get, it gives you some power. So at least, you know, say some stuff that can help people, you know, that's at least how I take the opportunity. Absolutely. Well, I mean, let's face it. Doesn't everybody, I mean, I don't mean this to sound Debbie Downer's, but don't we all have an agenda? 
think, <laughs> yeah, it's true. Yeah. But whatever like, we want, that's our agenda. <laughs> yeah, that's true. That's true. But I feel like with comedy, I've heard a lot of people like, we got to keep it, you know, like there's just so many ideas of what stand up should be, what comedy should be. And in my early 20s, I would let that like get in my head. But I'm in such a, like, I don't know. I think getting older helps. I think good therapy helps. And I just sort of am in a good place where I'm like, I know who I am and I know what I do. And I use my art to help. And that's just, that's what I try, you know? I think that's, I mean, I think that's wonderful because I think honestly, I gotta be careful again. I don't want to sound negative, but I think a lot of what is consumed in this country is crap. Uh, but I mean, it just is. And it's like what I, I shake my head so much at what I see on social media and like what, what is thought of as, as funny or clever. And it's, it's not, it's just like, you know, just because someone else thinks it, you don't have to think it's funny. So being original and being true to you and, and it's something clearly a lot of people are going through mental health issues. So if you can touch on that and people can laugh a little, but yet maybe it touches them or they're like, oh yeah, you know, my sister-in-law or my, my husband or whatever, you know, is struggling. And maybe I could, you know, talk about it a little more freely. That's gold, I think. So no one should ever be stifled from doing that. Thank you. That's what I think too. I, I feel like I've had so many, like, I understand a promoter who's like, hey, I'm going to book you, but no political comedy. And I'm like, that's fine. But I'll always say, do you consider mental health political? And they're like, what do you mean? I'm like, well, can I talk openly about having mental health issues and then also advocate for it? And they're like, oh my God, yeah, that's fine. So usually it's like, they're they're not going to hold you back from that sort of thing. And I still get in my political agenda anyway. My political agenda is be kind to each other. That's literally my platform. Be kind. Just Gabby, be- we're going to have to end this conversation right now. I'm sorry. When, when, oh, we, yeah. I, I said, when I said I'd have you on the show, I really didn't think we'd be going into kindness for crying out loud. <laughs> That would honestly be the best story. I'd be like, what? (laughs) Kidding, of course. No, but how sad is it that that's like an agenda? And again, I don't want to make, we're just so divided in this country anymore. I had this conversation earlier today because- I was so sick of the conversation after the Super Bowl, like all about the halftime show. Like oh there's actually God. literally people fighting over that music belongs to Gen X. It belongs to millennials. Like I'm a Gen X or I don't give a shit. You know, millennials feel free to claim it. I don't really care. It's not going to affect me either way. But at the same time, like, did I watch it? Yeah. Did I, was I like grooving in my horrible dance move? Sure. I was. Did I think it was the best show ever? No. I enjoyed it. And that's it. Now I don't have to be either or, and the conversations online, like, okay, if you didn't like it, you're a grumpy old white man, or you're just not quote unquote woke, which I hate buzzwords. Like how about it was just entertainment. It's okay. If we didn't all love it or, you know, you don't have to love or hate things. It's not either, or, oh, you're one of those. Can we stop that? Yeah. It's, it is absurd. Like, I, I mean, yeah, I know exactly what you're talking about because people are like, it is Gen X only. It is, and I'm like, and, and I'm an Xennial. I'm one of those weird cuspers who was born between 1977 and 1985. So we're not even in a, we're like this little microcosm. And I'm like, you know what? Honestly, like when Dre and Snoop came out, I was a little too young to be listening. You know, there was no way I was listening to that. Eminem now, that's my guy. Like that was like my comeuppance. And I like love him. And Kendrick, I felt was for Gen Z. I really felt like they were kind of appealing to everybody. That's the way I looked at it. But everyone's like, no, mine only. And it's like, okay, whatever. <laughs> whatever you all need to do, knock yourselves out. I don't get it. It was just fun. And it's the halftime show. It's not even the event. Yeah. And yeah. The event itself, I'm, I'm not a big football person. So I'm just like, me neither. Oh. That's just a bunch of, bunch of, you know, pituitary cases banging each other. That's a great Sunday night. And then ads thrown at us, you know, more consumerism while we're all broke. We've been out of work, you know, this pandemic. And then everyone's at the Super Bowl not wearing masks. I don't know about you, but my anxiety was just like, well, I just... 
this country, this world, you know, the Super Bowl ad actually made me like, it was like Shakespearean in a way. <laughs> well, and we're all, and again, I don't say this to sound, you know, mean or, you know, judgmental or unpatriotic or whatever, but we're all hypocrites. And I'm including myself in that. We all are. It's like you watch the news and it's like, oh, the cases are up, blah, blah, blah. I, my dad turned 85 yesterday, right? So we're celebrating him. He goes to the YMCA, he swims, he works out, he's in great shape. He for his 80th, we took up a big sheet cake because those are like his pals. And he wanted to do that. He wanted to do that this year. So my mom and I went up there. I walk in thinking I'm going to have to wear a mask. They don't even require them. This is the freaking YMCA. I said to my mom, wait, what? She goes, no, he said they don't require it. And again, whatever people think of masks and all this stuff, if it does help. Okay. But all these places are saying you need to, and this is the YMCA where there are kids daycare. There are a lot of seniors like my dad, 85. They're not even requiring them there. So I just feel like the messages are so mixed up. Really the are. hypocrisy is to the nth degree. And yeah. you know what people want to talk about on social media. Sure. That's your business, but what I guess aggravates me is like people will get all embroiled into it's it's Gen X music. No, it's millennial. Could we fight that hard for like a rapist going free? You know what I mean? I get like I see a a young uh, hard Ivy League asshole who doesn't go to prison, you know, after raping three girls because the judge thinks it wouldn't be appropriate. I'm like, that's what gets me riled up. But hey, that's just me. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> right. And then CBS Sunday Morning just did a piece about a poor man who was accused of rape and DNA evidence has proven he didn't commit the rape. He's been in prison for 43 years. He's 70 now and he's finally free. And he's just like, I forgive the women. You know what I mean? And you're just like, I would be blowing up the world, man. Like you are a much better person than me. Yeah, you're right. That's the stuff we should be outraged on. And I know we can't do it all the time. I mean, that's why I, I try not to even like when I get pissed off and I want to post something like I did yeah. it a couple of weeks ago and I removed it because no one gives a shit. Um, but it's like, like, I'm not saying we have to be serious all the time, but like have an, I don't know, just create something original and help, help the little people. I get so frustrated, like with my podcast, with different things I'm doing. And it's like, people will share a a misspelled meme, like, like in a heartbeat. And you'll see it 50 times as you scroll through within minutes, but like, try to get someone to share a show that you're in or a podcast. And it's like, do you get how much that could help, uh, you know, artists, uh, small businesses help us out? Cause these, these are system generated memes or whatever. Like it's not even from a person you're not helping. <laughs> no, I know exactly what you mean. And I was like, I will say like during the pandemic, I was, get, I could, I was getting a little down. Like I would see in my town in Pittsburgh, like people really rallying for certain comedians and promoting their stuff and be like, they're out of work. And I'm like, what do you think's happening over here? Like, and I was one of the few, I think I'm the, I can't say that, but I know most comedians in Pittsburgh have other jobs. So they, they were working at their other jobs. I was able to collect unemployment because I truly make a full-time living as a performer, but I still needed help. I mean, unemployment sucked doing art is what keeps me alive and not being in front of people was truly like, I didn't know who I was. I was losing my will to do anything. Like it was bad. And I did, and I was feeling like, why is it disappointing me? But I've really like, I, I've had this like great therapist for the last year. And I'm now at a point where I'm like, they don't want to support me. They don't have to support me. I'm not going to be, I'm not going to like have a narrative in my head. Like, why don't they help me? I'm not going to worry about it. But another thing I'm not going to do is I've been sitting in contempt of things like TikTok, right? I've just been like, oh, a bunch of people lip syncing to other people's bits. Like this is just absurd. And then they get 900 million views and I'm over here in obscurity trying to literally help people. And I was like, you know, maybe instead of just being utterly like disdainful of this app, 
thinking that this, this generation doesn't give a shit about real art, all this stuff, sorry, I swore, all this stuff. I'm like, what if you embrace it? Start making TikToks, but do them like Gab. Don't, don't do them like them, do them like you and see what this little medium and this, this app is all about. And like, let's just have some fun. Let's get back to having fun and being true to Gab in every way. And like, the more I do that, I feel so much better, you know, like, and that my kids, the, the kids are not okay. Is like the first time I've ever been on YouTube being serious, like actually talking about what I think. Like I literally went into a whole rant about like the disparity in public schools. And before I'd be so afraid, like oh, if I say that there are rich white schools, those schools might be offended and then they won't book us. And now I'm like, you know what? If you're watching my YouTube videos and not booking me because I'm telling the truth, that's your loss. I help kids. So I'm fine. You know, like I'm not going to live in fear because I've realized like with OCD, you can like start obsessing on cancel culture, saying the wrong thing, doing, and I'm not going to let my brain attack my art anymore. Like I'm not letting it get in the way of me and what I need to do. So that's been just stuff that I've been doing to try to help because this is a tough time. Like, I mean, like a 10 year old who's just like saying mean things will go viral, but you and I trying to actually like, talk about mental health, people are like, meh. They're two middle-aged broads talking about, you know what I mean? They don't give a shit about us. They're snoozer, like, snoozer. Yeah, even online anymore. You used to give up, you know? And it's just like, okay. Move over, boomer. Right. But if we were men, we'd still be viable bachelors. You know what I mean? Like, it's so messed up. Like, this world is messed up. So it, I can't play is. your games. You know, I won't play your weird games. I'm doing my thing. If you like it, come on board. If not, you don't have to watch me. That what you just said is so it's right on and it's healthy, but it's hard to get to where you're saying, because, you know, you mentioned about <clears throat> during the pandemic, let's help out, whatever. Well, and I got sick of hearing again, uh, you know, I'll be, people will be mad at me, but like, I, I get that everyone wanted to help the restaurants. But my thing too, was like, if you were bankrupt when this thing hit, like I knew a local restaurant that claimed it was that, and they were doing a GoFundMe like months earlier. If you, I'm not saying businesses are easy. They're not like, I can't imagine. But if you were teetering when this started, or if you were mismanaging or didn't really know what you're doing, this wasn't going to help. So, you know, I get the idea of supporting, but it was like, I get it. I get it. But restaurants aren't the only ones hurting. And like you said, performers, not just performers. I have, a, and I'm not saying this because it's not impressive at all. I have a master's degree in communication arts, which I'm not saying it means anything because it doesn't. One of my jobs, when I left my day job in 2010 in corporate communications, I started my business, Laugh to Live. I do laughter yoga. I do stand up. I wasn't making enough money off that. So now I have a gig life and I'm getting back to my roots with more marketing. But for a while, it was really a, a patchwork of jobs. One of them was being a grader for an online college called Penn Foster. They required a master's degree and were paying $12 an hour. Now, oh I know my friend's children who don't even they're not even finished with high school sheets Wegmans I can name a whole bunch of places McDonald's paying more than that so I'm like again I'm like I, I don't want to get into that like you said the narrative it's but it's like hello folks are you aware this has nothing to do with the pandemic but this is what they're paying me and they want a master's degree and I'm doing it because I can work remotely it's convenient and it's one of my jobs and I've told four people at that organization they don't care. <laughs> and they said they have no intention of raising, you know? So I'm like, there's a lot of stuff out of whack and I can't say that we can fix it all, but I'm saying just be aware at least and help out the people that, you know, instead of sharing bullshit. Okay. That's my rant. I'm done. <laughs> I, will, I do want to say though, I was very um, blessed that like, I don't have a Patreon. I don't have a, I didn't start a GoFundMe or anything. 
but I had several people who just have supported my art randomly send checks throughout that time. Like they'd just be like, for your art. Here, Gab, here's just a, uh, a donation to your art. And like that really meant a lot. Like in random people that you would just be like, oh, I, you haven't been to a show in 15 years. Thanks, you know? But um, so I, I try to like dwell on that and not like, I have to be honest with you, like in here in Pittsburgh, I've always kind of walked my own little, like I right early on the clubs were very sexist rate, all the things I don't like. So I was like, well, I'll just go find a room and do my own shows. So like, I've always kind of been a rabble rouser in Pittsburgh comedy. And so they're like, I'm not very, like I win awards on voted best comedian, but that's why the people among the comedy community, I'm never invited to do shows. Never. If I don't book it, I'm not on a show in Pittsburgh. It's just not going to happen. Um, so I don't have any camaraderie. I don't have a comedy community. And yet I still like make people, you know, I'm not going to stop making people laugh just because the comedians aren't my pals, but that's sort of my reality here. So this place gets really lonely for me in comedy. Like I have like one friend, his name is Arvin and he goes with me to shows. Like that is literally it. Like, I mean, I have a couple of people that are nice to me and like one checked in on me through the pandemic, but I lost my venue. My, the room that I book closed early on the pandemic mm. months prior to that people would check in on me hey gab hope you're doing well how what's going on with brillo box brillo box closes never another per one person only other than my friend checked in on me one other comedian not one then rumors of brillo box opening and what you know suddenly people are like hey gab what's going on i mean it's just so gross and what makes it so gross for me is like we're not even in la or new york you're not going to be seen by anybody. Why would you suck up to anybody or be less of a human or, or, you know what I mean? Like that kind of crap in a small market like Pittsburgh, truly like it, it upsets me. It literally upsets me, but at least now going forward, having gone through this pandemic, I now know I don't have to book anybody but myself. So, <laughs> so all shows will be three hour long of Gab doing stand-up. So hope you're in for it, Pittsburgh, because that's what you're going to get once a month at Brillo Box. Gab uh, and more Gab on you yeah, on the way. Because <laughs> I've always been someone who's like, yeah, because I knew how hard it was for me to get started. So I just be like, of course, come, come do stand up. And then they, can I come next month? Can I come next month? And I'm such a people pleaser. I'd have 50 people on a show. The quality of the shows. So I'm done with all that. I'm done. The pandemic really. And my new therapist, she, Leah, thank you. You've, you've brought me a long way from where I was a year ago. I can't even begin to tell you all the good things that have happened just in therapy. So I'm trying to just namaste. I do my yoga, be peaceful. Good. good. And we talked a little earlier. I want to get back to the comedy, but not just the comedy, but you also got into, you said during the pandemic, you got, uh, you, were at a you have your treadmill yeah. and you got into running. And I know we were talking a little earlier, like for me, I've actually kind of, uh, unfortunately, I'm not running as much as, as I would like, as much as I did. But I always believe it's the hardest part for me is getting started, but I've never been sorry that I finished a run because when I'm doing it, it has a meditative quality because things just flow in and out. I get creative ideas. And when I get home, I feel so, so much better. Um, and have you found that you found that running and exercise is, is good for you in that way to help you not just physically, but mentally? Yeah. When I first, uh, I remember back, like when I was, I think I just turned 30, I was, I became a walker. That's what I was like. I have to do something with this mania. So I'd start walking like five miles a day and I like convinced myself I couldn't do anything more. I played soccer as a kid and I'm like, I've hurt my knee. I can't do anything. Walking is all I can do. And then when my mother died six years ago, my sister got me a membership to a gym, a kettlebell gym. It's like CrossFit kettlebell weightlifting. And that like has shown me I can do things I never thought I can do. And then when the pandemic hit, 
I couldn't buy like the only like affordable piece of machinery I could get was a treadmill and walking on a treadmill is so lame and not fun. And you know what I mean? So I was like, I got to run. And so I started running and it truly at the end of a run, I feel like there is some natural thing that happens in my body that gives me such peace and clarity that I have, I just, I adore it. I really do. I ran my first, um, 5k I did a turkey trot in November and now I'm doing I'm not doing a marathon I'm doing a relay marathon in May with my best friend so I'm really excited about that like I've never run ever and now I, now I'm a runner that's so awesome that is awesome I love and it. I've gotten into it. yoga because of my therapist but she's taught me like grounding techniques meditation breathing things like that that have at first I was like you're hippy dippy and I don't need this you know and now I'm like oh my god namaste you know like I can't get through a day without a little bit of meditation and just like coming down and yeah and I never thought I was someone who could do yoga I mean you can see how wound up I am this is all on water like I'm I just you know <laughs> I've been up since five this morning and I'm just like hey everybody I've worked out three times today and this is still where I am so oh my gosh Oh, I yeah. wish I had that energy. And I know that sadly it's, I know it's almost, we talked before the, the, uh, the mind, what it does. And, and, and it's ironic that it's like, you know, I feel tired. Oh, I should go exercise. Well, I feel too tired to exercise, but if I exercise, then I won't feel as t- like it gives you energy. It really does. And it's it like, really so I wish I had just like, you know, can you send me like a vial of your energy? <laughs> I wish I could, I would give it out to people. I would totally do that. Actually, I say that and I would miss it so much. I always have like, I'll occasionally have like a little bit of paranoia where I'm like, be like I don't even I've been this hummingbird of a person my whole life like if it ever went away I don't even people wouldn't even know well that's not true when I was on like tons of antipsychotics like lots of them like multiple antipsychotics and then like benzos I was I wasn't this manic I was just like I was very different gap yeah that yeah if I'm over medicated you can take it away but, na- but naturally, like as a kid, you had, like, you were always like a high energy person. Always, yeah. always. Yeah. My mother said, like, she said when I was really little, there were times where I like couldn't wind down at night that I would just be running through the house and my end move to go to sleep was I would run straight into a wall and then they would just pick me up and take me. I mean, now that's I, an ending. <laughs> I mean, I really like, I jokingly am always like, I'm Daffy Duck, but I really am like, I grew up watching Looney Tune cartoons and thinking like that was how that I believed that was life. And for some reason, like it never stopped in me. Like I still see everything like it's a Looney Tunes cartoon. Like I don't <laughs> see real life not in cartoon. And Daffy was always the one I related to the most. And I just feel very Daffy Duck. I love bugs, but I'm Daffy. <laughs> don't blow off your bill. Okay. <laughs> oh, that was my favorite. That was for the, be- the, the last, the best act you could do is kill yourself on stage. And I've always said that, I'm like, that was amazing. We drank the poison and then his ghost floated up at the end. That was amazing. <laughs> so let's, so we, we talk exercise is helpful. The meditation, the yoga, all that is helping you great therapists. And that is important too, because I mean, I, I don't talk to anyone now, but in the past I've tried through the years and I, I mean, I didn't like a lot of them, (laughs) you know, the one I was talking to was even at the time I was working at Blue Cross and she's like asking me what's going on at Blue Cross, like not from a how am I perspective, but like procedural, like, you know, and I'm like, that's not why I'm here to help you out. Probably worried about a billing problem or something. I'm like, yeah, no. So, so that is important finding the right person. Um, And it's not easy. You know what I mean? Like what you're saying. And I feel like that's, that's that's actually the next video I want to make. And the kids are not okay is basically 
talking about how like, just because I'm saying go get a therapist, it doesn't mean it's going to be easy. You're going to like the first one that the first one you stick with for three years will even be good and help you. Like I, one of my main keys in my mental health talks is you being your own advocate. And I, and I've done talks where the psychiatrists and the doctors, like the feedback is they were pissed at what I said. And I don't give a shit because I'm not there for the doctors. I'm there for us, the patients. Let me just tell you my new therapist and I almost, and we're still like on the fence about this. We almost went and reported a, a therapist of mine, my two, not the most pre the one right before the two before who I had been with for like 10 years. She's the one who was like the main captain in my bipolar stuff. And um, she's done really bad things. Like, and, and something that even happened while she's not my therapist in this last year, she was at a show I did, came up to me afterwards, broke HIPAA, started talking about all this stuff. In my standup, I talked about my new therapist and being treated for OCD. And she was like, you don't have OCD. You have bipolar. If you get treated with OCD, you're going to get so much worse. I left the gig in a total like, oh my God, she's right. I have to go back to her. I have to quit this therapist. I'm so bipolar. I want to believe I'm so like totally, like totally devolved. Like I could have gotten a car accident. I was that wound up, mm -hmm. got home. And I was like, wait a minute. My new therapist has taught me that's an intrusive thought. My new therapist has taught me all or nothing. I, you can't think in all or nothing terms. Wait a minute. And I did the work, grounded myself. And then I waited days and then told my therapist. I was like, this is what happened. But like this all happened. I thought about reaching out to you, but I did work it down. All your techniques help. And she was like, we, I mean, it's up to you, but you can, we can go and report her. Cause that is not okay. Everything she did was wrong. Like she was like bringing up intimate things I've told about like my friends and my family, like, oh, how's your friend's cancer? Like, whoa, I'm at a oh, show. Geez. What are you doing? So like the fact that this happens and, you know, people want me to advocate for mental health, but then not share this side of it. Well, how is that going to help a patient? You know what I mean? You need to know that they're not perfect either. <laughs> they're oh, yeah. fallible. I mean, my mother was murdered by her doctors. So I totally know, like, you have to advocate. I was her advocate. I'm my advocate. And I really promote that with mental health. Like, fight for what you want. You know what I mean? And if you don't feel comfortable with someone, get another doctor. And I know if you don't have insurance, it's a whole other ball of wax. Um, you know, there's so many complications, but really advocate for yourself. You deserve it. I say that to my mother, my mom's 76 and my dad's 85. And thankfully they're overall healthy, but I think in mental health, but, and even in all forms of health, it is so important to be your own advocate because sometimes, you know, they'll come home and, you know, mom will tell me what the doctor said or did with my dad. And I'm like, I, one of my gig jobs is I'm a standardized patient at the local medical college. So I know how they're trained in school to do things. And I know how, when you go out there, the way they do them, because it's about quickness. And I'm not saying everybody don't get me, you know, I'm not saying I'm, I'm not anti-doctor, but they have to see so many patients there in, in such a hurry and how they can bill things. And it's like, you have to stand up for yourself. You do. I mean, whether it's a the way something is billed to you or, you know, the way they talk to you, if they don't explain something to you or, to, you know, put it in, in layman's terms that you can understand. And I, I feel sorry for people who are elderly that don't have someone that can help them sometimes. I'm not saying that all elderly need that, but but to your point, and I don't want to go off, but is that we do have to be, uh, and I'm so glad that you address that because you're absolutely right. And especially with therapists, like I said, I, I must've seen four or five different people through the years. I, I don't know that I, I think I maybe only connected with one or two and like, you know, there are so many, they're human, just like they're like us, they're human, they're flawed. And if you don't feel comfortable, you have every right to question, you have every right to move on. So, yeah. Yeah. No, it's, it's, it's wild. And my first, this therapist, the one that I, 
I gave her so much power. So I just did everything she said. And like, she was the word of the Lord to me. So it's just wild to look back and be like, whoa. And the thing that like, I, I've always known that the ultimate, like the root of all of my mental health stuff started in trauma. But every time I'd get with a therapist, they'd be like, well, you have bipolar. And we'd never work on trauma. And then my next therapist, it was like, well, you're grieving. So we have to work on that. And I'm like, right, but the traumas would set this whole thing off. And my current therapist is phrase, like put it into such a way that it makes sense where, cause I'm bipolar, but I'm not on lithium. I'm not on any meds. I haven't been on meds for 10 years. And so when I meet a new psychiatrist, they're like, well, are you bipolar? And this therapist has just said it best. She's like, your bipolar was through trauma. When you go through a major trauma, you get your bipolar gets triggered and then you go into a bipolar episode. But if you're not going through trauma, you can maintain perfectly fine. You can manage your bipolar. It's not like that. It's not like my bipolar isn't a chemical balance in polar, bipolar. It is a trauma triggered bipolar. And to know that and to finally work on the trauma and techniques for trauma, I mean, I can, I just, I'm having a better life, you know? And, um, but it took, I mean, I've been in therapy for like 20 years. So, I mean, that's the thing. Like, it's not, it's not an overnight, I'm cured. It's, it's an, it, it's the rest of your life. It is a process, yeah. the rest of your life, just like your physical health. That's yeah. why we work out. You know what I mean? Yeah. We work out our brain and our bodies. And I also, I hope this is totally okay to say, but like I've had, so I have lots of issues, trauma in childhood. I've had a bad pattern of being attracted to much older men and having relationships with them that have not worked out. But when you posted the picture of your father on his 85th birthday, I was like, I couldn't believe he was 85. I wanted to be like, damn, he's girl. taken. I know your mother, you already mentioned, but I was like, this man is an attractive 85 year old. And that's how gross I am. There's something wrong with me. I was checking out your 85 year old dad. Oh my God. You would be a fun stepmom, but I do love my mother. <laughs> so many like female friends where I'm like, you know, your dad's on, and they're like, that'd be so funny with you to be my mom. I'm like, no, it wouldn't. It'd be horrible. And I would be a terrible partner for your father. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I am best not dating. <laughs> well, a lot of people tell my dad he doesn't look his age. He's heard that his whole life. He does take care of himself. So. Yeah. I was like, what? he's not 80. I couldn't believe it. I'm like, wait, this isn't your dad. He can't be 80. Like it wasn't computing in my brain. He did not look 85. <laughs> if my mom decides to leave him or anything, I'll, I'll send you a message. I'll let you know. <laughs> she does get pissed at him a lot. So maybe. Oh my God. Hey, 56 years they're going to be or fi- I can't even remember how many, I think it's 55 or 56 years together. They are. Yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. Are you they're pretty five? solid? <laughs> are you their only kid? No, I have an older brother who is, Paul is t- almost three years older than me. So I turned 50, he turned 53 in October. So yeah. Oh, cool. Mm-hmm. So one of each. Yeah. They got one of each, the perfect family. And we know oh. that does not exist. <laughs> so that was a sarcastic remark. Good. I love my parents. I love my brother, but I'm just saying that, you know, perfection is this crazy idea that we have, right? It's not, it's not real. So we have to love the flaws. We have the flaws in other people and make them work. Right. Yeah, and embrace them. Like, I don't know, lately, that's kind of been my whole thing. Like when, like, I'm like, if I'm in a group chat with friends, right. And they're like complaining about someone that we all know and they're like, and then they did this and then they did that. And I'll be like, yeah, but you know, when they were eight, their dad left and then their mom was an alcoholic and then this happened and they just aren't getting the therapy. So that's why they're acting this way. So we can let it go. Like it has nothing to do with us. It's all about them. And it's really actually tragic that they aren't, you know, doing the work. It's really sad. So let's not be 
petty. We can just move yeah. on. And I know people are like, God, Gab's not fun to, you know, rag on people, but I don't, I just, I'm actually everyone, I know everyone has a story. And I think the more we start embracing our imperfections, we could probably relate to each other a lot better. I mean, I grew up with a mother who was just like, we could never let anyone know. I mean, mental health was a stigma. We were not going to therapy. I mean, she was so pissed when the school put me in therapy. She called up and screamed at them. So yeah, I mean, it, I get it. I know trying to make everyone think that everything's great here. Um, I mean, I really think that's part of the reason I, I always have a smile, even when I'm morbidly depressed is like my mother is a, when I was a little girl, she's like, honey, if you want to make people happy, you have a million dollar smile. So just smile all the time and you'll make everybody happy. And I'm a people pleaser. So I was like, okay. <laughs> so like, I'm just like the worst things in the world are happening. I'm like, hi everybody. My dad's dead. I'm like, it's just fucking crazy. I'm like, you know, Nicholson and the shining at all times. <laughs> I'm like trying not to, but I like, it's such a default. I can't, I'm like the Joker. I can't stop smiling. It's horrible. <laughs> oh. what, but what you're saying is like the whole idea of, uh, of showing and embracing our flaws. I mean, it's like that happens in a lot of families and in society too. And I think, I think it's slowly turning like, you know, the example of like women taking, you know, showing pictures without makeup and all that. I know that's a small example, but it's like, we need to do more of that because no one's perfect. I don't, I mean, obviously no one's perfect. And I, I think no one's like, you know, naive enough to believe that of course, no one's perfect. And I'm not saying you have to air your dirty laundry. Cause that's the other type on Facebook too. Like, I don't need to know how much you hate your, you know, brother-in-law, your cousin-in-law, or like, yeah, I don't need to see that that has pus in it. You know, that, you know, you were just in the oh, hospital, yeah. like, and you're changing your dressing. I don't, I don't need to see all that, but we do need to be able to say like, I forgot what it was that I was talking about on either one of my shows or something. And my mother's like, oh, you tell people that. Cause again, my mom's 76. So there's older generations. They, you know, Catholic, you know, didn't talk about it. Irish Catholic, but yeah, I'm okay with the fact that I can talk about like, you know, my, my hormones and now like, you know, I can go for a run, but then it's embarrassing. I can barely get out of my sports bra without dislocating my shoulder. It's very <laughs> challenging. So they're like, it's okay. In fact, it makes you human. It shows that you're human. And then someone in the audience might be like, oh, okay. So I, I I'm like that too. And I have shit going on. And it's like, I think it's a good way for us to like see one another more and just be kind. And I'm not going to say to be kind because we still end up don't not doing that, but like to kind of like give each other a break and say, you know what, and give ourselves a break. I think that's probably even the bigger issue. Give ourselves a break. Oh, definitely. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's bizarre. Like, I don't know about you, but when you do stand up or do something where somebody comes up to you and they're like, Oh my God, I told yes, that's me. Like, it's so awesome. Cause you're like, great. I made you feel less alone. But then the other thing happens where they just made me feel less alone. You know, like when you just said the thing about the sports bra, I have been living, like thinking I'm the only idiot in the world who can't get in and out of a sports bra. <laughs> like I almost fucking die. Excuse me. Like I almost died trying to get out of one after the gym today. And I was like, oh my God, why don't these fit right? And I can't, I mean, they're just horrid. So I'm just so happy to know it's you too. <laughs> They're torture devices. Cause in the summer when I'm sweaty and everything, I now have to, it helps if you bend forward and I <laughs> try to pull it over my head. Cause there literally are times when I'm like, I'm going to break my damn shoulder trying to do this. <laughs> oh my God. I hate them. They're such horrible. Like, wow. Ah. Yes. And I don't even have big breasts. So sometimes like if men were not men, humans, if humans were perverts, I would totally go around without a bra all the time. But when I've tried doing that, it doesn't work out for me. It never works out for me. So oh. wow, well, we've covered a lot here tonight, Gab. Um, let me just ask you, I still want to ask you a little bit more about the comedy. So I had asked you off uh, before we started recording. I love that you can entertain 
young people and adults. Do you, is it, I guess what's, I don't want to say what's the process. I don't want to get into like, I'm, you know, what's that guy Lipton on the actor studio. What is your process? Do you walk around the room? Do you do jumping jacks? Like, wait, I don't want to go there, but like, do you feel it's just, cause some people would say, oh, they're just little people. So maybe you don't change. It's just, you know, obviously you're not going to drop an F-bomb, but like, how do you feel about like when you shift from like entertaining adults to kids or is it the same kind of, Hey, they're just little people who deserve to laugh too. Like, how do you approach it? I guess I would say. It's really interesting that you ask that just because it is, um, it is completely different. I, I want to first say like, after I did perform with kids, I think it made me a better performer for adults because they are harder. Like they're just, you really like have to get, like kids don't pay attention. They're not going to pay attention. So once I won them over, I, I feel like I can handle any audience. But um, the thing that's really cool is I perform in schools. So I perform in assemblies. So it's mostly kids, but the side audience are all teachers and faculty. So I get to kind of do a mix of both where I'm doing comedy for the kids, which is like, you know, humor you would expect you know what I mean like I'll be out like well back before COVID I had a wireless mic and I would go and talk to kids and interview them in the crowd and like if a kid farted or whatever I would just in the mic be like yo I smelt it but I didn't dealt it you know what I mean like I never shied away from like poop jokes fart jokes any like I just get full into six-year-old gab and we're having fun um and I'm so high energy the kids are just like they don't even know what they're seeing half the time I mean I've had kids who are like Gabby how did you get here does your mommy drive you and I'm like <laughs> when I drove me and they're like you can drive like they have no I've been asked not to come over can your mom can my mommy get your mommy's phone number so we can have play dates like I've been asked all of these things like they don't even my little nephew I don't think knows that I'm a grown-up like because my energy is just so like a cartoon um but I love that I get to have the jokes for the teachers too so like I'll always be able to like you know throw in like some literary reference and the English teacher's like I caught that you you brought up Kafka in an anti-bully assembly I'm like I did it was for you you know so it's like a fun you're mix. welcome <laughs> yeah I like to play so I get to play to both and it's I feel like it's made me a better performer so like when I do do like family events where it's like we have these big New Year's Eve events in Pittsburgh that I've done stand-up for at least like nine years and uh it's a mix of kids and adults and it's just made me better at kind of playing everyone and I don't know I am very even in my stand-up I am child I'm just a childlike person I just I blame it on going through a childhood trauma and then you know, hanging on to the things of when I was little that, that meant a lot to me. And it's just kind of stayed with me into adulthood, you know? Um, but I will say before I started performing for kids, I swore a lot. I mean, I drop <laughs> F, I say everything. I mean, I'm like the most foul mouth. I was like the most foul mouth comedian started doing the kids stuff. Never have knock on wood. I've never once slipped almost never. Like I see these little baby faces and there's no way I would ever want to say anything that would like you know, just change their world. Like that's just not my thing. Um, but then in my adult standup, I started swearing less. And now I, I'll do like a whole hour and I won't even swear. Or I'll do too many kids shows in a week. And then I have a standup <laughs> show. And then it's like, I can't, I'm like, I gotta get it all out now. And I'm like, I, I, I say F every word. I'm like, I'm so sorry. It's just because I was with kids all week and I need to swear. <laughs> yeah, so it's, uh, but you'd be amazed. Kids are smart and they like, you can do smart jokes and some of them get it. You know what I mean? Maybe they don't all, but I don't know. They're awesome. Kids are some of my absolute favorite people on the planet. I don't think I used to think that way, 
but I definitely think that way now. Like the oldest people and the youngest people are the best people on the planet. And the rest of us are just screwing it all up. <laughs> That's great. I mean, I think it, I do think it takes a special person to be able to do what you're doing though, to entertain young people and adults, because like you said, they're a tough audience, but it, but they're also smart. They're little humans who are smart too. But I, I think that's challenging because I've, you know, I've been asked a couple of times to do different community shows and I've always, I've been, I've taken the scaredy cat route and I've said no, because I just don't, I mean, and I'm, it's not like I do dirty stuff or I typically on my shows, I might say like shit or whatever, but I don't, I don't typically drop F-bombs just because I don't like I, I, and I don't judge people who do, as long as it's not like every other word, just because yeah. they have nothing original to say, you know what I mean? And you've seen those. It's usually oh, I get open mics, guys get up there and they think they're funny. And it's like, I've heard that word now so much. It means nothing to me. Um, right. But like, so it's not that it's just knowing, I guess I've been afraid really like what kids, what, oh my God, what are the kids going to think of me? And I, and how, and how to make them laugh. I never knew how to approach it. So I, I respect that you can do that. I think that's great. It's, it's honestly like, I just did a show on Friday and it, we haven't done a show because of Omicron. We, we haven't done any live shows until last, last Friday was the first one. And Josh, my bandmate, he, he turned to me at the end of the two and he's like, I feel like those were the best Josh and Gab shows we've ever done from beginning to end. Like we didn't miss one note. Everything was perfect. I'm like, cause we are dying to be doing this. Like, this is what we love to do and we don't get to do it. And yeah, they're, they, like those kids got a Super Bowl halftime show in Butler you know, elementary school, because that's how like we just, it's, yeah. I love what I do. I truly love what I do. Kids say the most, you know, I, they had kids say the darndest things. I think kids say the most wise, beautiful things I've ever heard in my life. Like they just, they make me cry. They make me laugh. They're just phenomenal human beings and they're trying so hard. And even 10 years ago, when I started this program, I knew then that kids weren't getting enough attention at home, just based on how they treat me and how they're like, Hey, and they need so much attention. And I think that kids right now for, you know, their parents have phones and I see it with my own friends with kids, they're on their phones and they're not at all engaging. And like, I think smartphones, social media has really taken away from a lot of crap that could help kids and older people too, you know, free up more time if we got off a lot of this stuff that is really distracting us from real life and real people. So I, I were, I've been worried about the kids for a long time. It's just now it's with COVID, it's just, has taken such a turn. Yeah. Well, and I'm glad you've, you've got stuff now that people can check out. So on YouTube, uh, the kids are not okay. Right. Is that yeah. okay? The kids well, are not okay. So far, but you know, one's really long. So. Okay. But also people can check you out on, are you on, you're on TikTok now as well? I am. So I have um, on my Instagram, I have like a link tree link that has just everything I do. So I have like my, my website for comedy, my website for mental health. I'm on TikTok, Instagram, Facebook, Twitter, you name it. I, I, I keep up with the kids, you know, <laughs> do all that stuff. You're uh, so hip, Gab. <laughs> I try. Do I? I don't know. I, my therapist thought, said once that she thought I wore these hats to be cool. And I was like, really? And I wear them because I think I've given up on caring about how I look at all. So that's great. Yep. <laughs> That's my aesthetic. Um, yeah, but no, I try, I try to do all social media and, uh, you know, get, get the word out there and try to entertain for free, which is crazy. Like all the, when you think about all the content you put online for free. Yes. Just, oh, and then I think, are there like, are there smart people in other States who are like, that's funny. I'm taking it. And then using it like in something I'm like, Hey, I thought of that five years ago. Shit. Why do I get this all the way for free? Yeah, the yeah. internet. I don't know how great it is. Sorry. And this isn't like a bipolar paranoid thing. This is something I truly believe. 
Yeah, no, no, you're right there. I mean, you're, we're putting it all out there, you know, I mean, whether it's beautiful photos, art, our, you know, our, our comedy, like the, the video it's because I don't know, we're so desperate to be, you know, I mean, yes, we want to get our content out there, but so much of it too, is like, we want, obviously we want approval, right? Cause I mean, that's what the likes are about and all that other stuff. We, oh my God, they think I'm funny. And you know, the whole Sally Field thing, you like me, you really like me. Yeah. That, that makes everybody feel good. Right. I oh, mean, yeah. But it's amazing. Like, I don't know, like sometimes like I don't need a million likes, but like five likes from five people I respect means way more. You know what I mean? Like, so I it's all the way you look at things, I think, you know, like I really I can really be happy with little things sometimes like I don't get stuff shared. But my first episode of The Kids Are Not Okay, 20 different people shared it on Facebook and different. And I was like, that never happens for anything I do why you know or like the few times where a video of mine has gone like i have like one video has like eighty five thousand views on it and the some of the comments are just the meanest things you've ever seen in your life like oh my god and i just like laugh at it like they're just like you old ugly you should be a mom and you're dabbing at the beginning of this video and i just like my standard response to anyone who calls me ugly mean old anything i'm just like this comment has entered you in a chance to win a free MacBook Pro. Keep liking this comment and my videos and you could win a MacBook Pro. And then they just keep coming back. They're like, did I win the MacBook Pro? And I'm like, oh my God. <laughs> no, but I got another view because you're mean. So there you go. There's your <laughs> MacBook Pro, buddy. Yeah, like you just have to like find ways to not let the negativity. In. And you know, these mean people are like seven-year-olds who probably don't have a mom or dad at home. They have access to a computer at night. They're babysitting themselves at 2 a.m. And they've, they're they're so angry at mom and dad and the world and no one who looks out for them that they're just scrolling on TikTok or YouTube and they find me and they're like, I hate her, you know what I mean? But it's like, they don't hate me. They hate their lives, you know? Yeah. <clears throat> well, and that's the same for, I mean, adults too. I, when I was, I taught one of my gigs, I stopped doing it because I'm not meant to be, I feel I'm not meant to be a teacher, but uh, I was teaching part-time in the mass communications department for seven years at a college here, King's College. And one of my social media class, we did an anti-cyberbullying campaign and the kids, you know, the students came up with the name and the, the logo and we did click away uh, cyberbullying. And, you know, we try to promote like different articles, all this information for like parents, for uh, guidance counselors, teachers, and directed to kids. And I was rather proud that at the end of the semester, we, because of what we were doing, we got two newspapers there. We had uh, two local television stations there. Well, would you believe like the nastiest comments, which was so ironic and funny to me that like, not funny, but funny that the, of the newspaper, the online article had some of the nastiest. Now these were, these were adults. These are totally adults that wrote this stuff. Like that. I like, it was a jab at me because it wasn't a real class social media, like, gee, social media, what has that done to people? Hello, you know? uninformed cretin, but whatever. It's like, oh, that's a joke of a class. They actually literally mocked one of my students' appearance. Now, thankfully he saw it and he's like, he laughed at it because he's like bearded and everything. And like, but they were making fun of him. And I'm like, you assholes, like, do you see, we're trying to like, you know, stop or at least help people who are going through cyberbullying and you are, are bullying this. I mean, I thought it was like so ironic and like funny in a ridiculous, horrible way, but I'm just like, what is wrong with some people? I, I don't understand. But, but like you said, you have to find ways to deal with it. And because again, you can't, you can't let it hurt you or, you know, then they've won or you can't play it over. Like you said, you're dealing with stuff and just putting like dealing with it in a healthy way, grounding yourself. So 
Yeah, because I just I found with like a lot of bullies or any anyone who's like abused me emotionally abused me, like I give so I in the past I'd given so much anger and and you know what I mean and that's that's my time that I'm taking away to be mad back at these people that don't deserve my time you know and I really and I don't know I think as you get older too you're like I gotta I gotta use this time I got so much more I want to do and I don't want to be wasting it on like hating a mean comment or you know my brother or whatever the reason is you know what I mean I want to work through these issues and I want to have peace and I want to not be full of anger because I got so much I want to do you know yeah at least that's where I am right now well, and that's a great place to be. Um, so before we wrap up, is there anything else we talked about? Check out Gab Benesso on Instagram and uh, the link in her bio has all of her social links. So you can check that out. Um, she is available to speak at any school assembly. She'll perform anywhere, right? Is that accurate? A bathtub, a back alley? <laughs> yes, I, I, New Mexico, we will go anywhere. Even if we don't even, you don't even have like a real business. We'll come, no, that's not true. We will come, yeah. Uh, and I do mental health talks everywhere. I have a bunch coming up uh, this spring, which I'm really excited about. I'm going to Edinburgh College next month to give a big talk. And I think I'm doing a workshop too. Cause I, I sometimes teach like comedy as catharsis and stuff or, um, you know, ways to deal with bullying through art or just different things, whatever, you know, whatever that's the client wants. I'm a very... I can do what you need. You're adaptable. That's great. Adaptable. Yeah, that's, that's great though. I mean, and that's so true comedy. Um, I know when you were speaking last May, I had asked you, I think if you knew this person, but uh, David Grenier is someone in Canada who has stand up for mental health and he helps people with mental health issues. He has programs that they go through and they write their stand up comedy. They perform it publicly. And again, as a way of it being cathartic and therapeutic. And I, I just think that's awesome. And they get to write jokes about what they're going through, like your approach, you said earlier, that it's everything is basically fodder or material, possible material in our lives. And why wouldn't we do that? You know, it's what we're living, you know? Yeah, definitely. I'm always confused by people who like, I don't know, like make up stories for stand up. Like I get it if it's really creative and funny, but like, I don't know, like I do, I I lost a brother one year after I lost my mother and it, everyone knows that. I mean, I put out an album called Everyone's Dead like one week after he died. And this comedian who's bullied me and my friend, uh, we were trying to do an open mic at one point when things were reopening. And uh, he came and he's like, I'm gonna do a bit and you guys have to let me do it. And he talked about having a dead sibling and did all these really not funny jokes. Like they were like making fun of a dead, it just was really weird. And then when he finished it, a friend of his got up and basically said like, he made up that whole concept. Like he, we helped him figure out the way his brother was gonna die. And I was just like, why would you, like it felt not even just like shitty, it felt like personal. Like you came to my room and made up being a dead brother for comedy and the jokes weren't even good. They were just mean and cruel. Okay, like I, I will never understand that side of comedy or, or social media, like people who take the social out of social media by just being mean bullies or, or like you said, posting, you know, pus. Yeah, yeah, exactly. But I love, I mean, and, and then, then we'll wrap up here, but like the making stuff up like that. It's so funny. Cause I, 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 you know, I don't know. I don't want to bash people, but people are sometimes, well, where do you get material? Life is full of it. You know what I mean? And I, I'm sure, I don't know if you know, do you, or like, I should say, I'm sure, you know, but do you like David Sedaris? Oh my God. Um, his, I'm sure you did. I figured you did. And that's why I mean, I, of course I knew you knew him and I figured you would love him. I listened to his masterclass and he talked all about that, how it's like 
be observant, be curious, you know, try new things and how the material is everywhere. And he's right. It is literally everywhere. And I think some, and again, I'm not trying to diss, but some people, maybe if they're not as maybe observant or creative or imaginative, they don't know how that could be something, but you don't, I mean, material is literally everywhere. Like your interactions with people, uh, everything about life, you know, and if you sit back and observe, oh my gosh, it's all over the place. It's gold. It really is. Truly, there is gold everywhere. You don't need to make it up or steal another person's joke or rewrite famous people's jokes from the 70s. Like, just do your thing, man. If you really want to be a comedian, like, do the whole work. Don't just, I don't know. There's, I, I just, I'd like to see a nice shift in comedy. And I think, I think it's going to come. I think we might see it in our lifetime. I really do. I think, I think people are starting to realize there's more voices than just white, straight, cis men. And, um, and hopefully, and there, and I see pockets of it blossoming. Like I have always had a room that is like, you're not going to come here and be homophobic, transphobic, xenophobic, anti-Semitic. Like you're not going to be racist. You're not allowed in my room. Get out. You're like, I don't want you. Um, and I see that all over the country, different rooms, like no hate comedy or this, you know, we will not accept this kind of behavior. And that makes me really happy. Like, I feel like there's enough funny people who now get it. Like we don't have to be funny and problematic. We can be funny and just be funny. How about that? How about we've, or we be funny and we actually do something with our words and change the world. How about that? Like, I do think, I think things are going to get better. It's not going to just be all the Louis CKs and Dave Chappelle's of the world. It's going to be some like, you know, the Maria Bamford's are going to get their, their, their time. Oh, she's awesome. Yeah. Oh, yeah. phenomenal. And, and talk about a mental health advocate from yep. forever. And she's yeah. so great. And the fact that people don't know her, that she's not a household name makes me crazy. It's just like, you know, yeah. even Wanda Sykes should be bigger than she is. Like I can name a hundred women comedians who should be way bigger, but they're women. So, yeah. And that's, yeah, that's the world we've been in. So yeah, I was told once that I was funny for, uh, for a girl or whatever. And I was like, yeah, and you're not funny for a carrot. I mean, he's a redhead, so whatever, but I mean, like, you're not funny period, but thank you for recognizing that I'm funny for, you know, a person who has boobs and yeah, I'm a woman. Yeah. I mean, like that was like, oh, that's, that's nice of you to say. Oh yeah. I, well, I get the other, like, well, you're, you're not even really a woman. Are you Gav? I mean, are you a woman? Are you a woman? Are you a girl? Are you? Oh yeah. Men will just like act like I'm, you know, it's fine. You've misgendered me. I've been misgendered before. I can handle it. It doesn't make you seem clever. It makes you seem really weird. Yeah. <laughs> Why yeah. are you doing this? We're grown adults. Like, it's just very strange. Very, very strange. But oh, I've been bullied on. I mean, I've had men yeah. get up on stage and literally just talk crap about me, like for their set. I'm just like, is this happening? Yeah, I and I've read that from friends of mine who used to run a room down in uh, in the Lehigh Valley, and she would post. And unfortunately, I only got there once or twice, but she would post the nonsense of like some of the guys that would get up and then do shitty jokes about the other comedian, like other female comedians or the host or whatever. It's like, that's like, you're just showing that you're an asshole. Really? I mean, there's nothing clever at all about it or funny, you know, it's, it's too bad. Yeah. When my mother was alive, she'd be at every show. And if like somebody want, you know, either wasn't funny or tried to come at me, she would just yell from the back. Why don't you wait, spend more time writing jokes something funny perhaps like she would just my mother would be the ultimate heckler so she was like my bodyguard so I really do miss having her in many ways but at my shows she no one messed with me at the end of the day if she was there that's awesome I love that <laughs> she was the that's best great. oh my god my mother was the best <laughs> that's great all right well any closing words or party I think we covered a lot um anything else that you wanted to say before we wrap it up here yeah bring me to Scranton so I could do comedy <laughs> 
I want yes. to come, come to you guys. I East Coast, baby. I At the beginning of this year, I was like, I feel me coming to the east side of Pennsylvania. I feel we will have to work on that. Yes, definitely. I would love to see you here in Scranton in the electric city. That would be great. That oh would be God. awesome. So fun. I'll dress like Michael Scott. I'll do whatever you need me to do, Scranton. I can do it. I'll do it. That that might actually be a prerequisite because that's real big. Now. <laughs> oh my God. I, I mean, I've just been, re I haven't watched it in years and I've just been rewatching it again. I'm like, this show is so good. Oh my God. Mm hmm. Yeah, I get, I get a little like this is I've lived in Scranton my whole life and I've been a fan of it my whole life. So I would, you know, when I went to college at Penn State and people were like, oh, Scranton, that sucks or whatever. And I'm like, oh, you know, you really got a good assessment when you drove through on 81. I'm sure like <laughs> people like, every, oh, it's an armpit. Really? What makes it an armpit? Like, what are you? Oh, my God. When you came out of your castle turret, you know, I mean, give me a break. But I so I've been an advocate for the longest time. And I love that Scranton is now seen more favorably because of the office or there's a connection. But like when people say that, I kind of like, I just kind of get a little, my back up a little. Cause I'm like, yeah, but there's more here. And, you know, I wish people had seen it before, but nevertheless, I do love that there's more of a positive connection now and that people want to check it out. And that's awesome because if people come here and because of a show, which I love by the way, and I, I watched it when it was on. And again, of course, when it was on Netflix, I was watching it over and over. That's like, not comfort food. That's my comfort show. That's like that in Seinfeld. Seinfeld was first for me, of course, but then that I, I kind of go between the two of them. And it's like, when I just want to laugh, even if I've seen it episode 20 times, I know I'm going to laugh again. It's my comfort. It's like a good friend. It's like, okay, I can relax. You know, that's cool. I relate. I definitely have comfort shows. They're, they're friends is a big one for me. Criminal minds. I know that sounds really <laughs> weird, but it is madly in love with the entire cast of criminal minds and would want to be an FBI profiler. Yeah, no, I totally. And, and one guy, Shamar, the, the guy, the Shamar ball. Moore, yeah, oh. like, my mm -hmm. favorite though is Matthew Gray Gubler, Spence Reed, Spencer Reed, uh, Spencer Reed. Okay. Apprentice. I would, I would marry either one of them. They're both. She, I think, I think Paget Brewster is like the best. I would, I'm not even worthy to be her wife. And Dr. Spencer Reed, I'm also not worthy to be his wife. So there you have it, but I love them both. <laughs> <laughs> they can marry each other and I could just watch. Um, but yeah, no, I was going to say about Scranton, though, weirdly, I've been to like so many cities in Pennsylvania, but I've yet to be in Scranton. And I'm with you and that people can be so down about stuff. One of my favorite, I love Erie. Like I'm a huge Erie fan. Like I, Wegmans, but also the lay. I mean, it's just a great town. I've done all, I've done every single school in Erie. Great community. And people be like, oh, Erie. And I'm just like, why are you so down on different places? Like, I don't know. I don't know why people are down on towns. Like I love Wheeling, West Virginia. Like you'd be amazed. Warren, PA, uh, there's lots of places. Yeah. Well, and the thing is I had uh, someone who I unfriended because of her comments after a while or political comments, but it was Hazleton, which is a little bit South of, of Scranton by 45 minutes. And I had been there for business. I don't know, something I was doing some, and she commented about like Hazel, it's some nasty comment. And I'm like, you know what though? it's it's home like I didn't spend that much time there but I mean I'm sure I said it has its qualities you know good people businesses restaurants you know things that are good about it and I said you know what every place is, is a home to somebody you know what I mean it's their home so let's kind of and I you know I say this and I'm being a hypocrite now because of course I've laughed at jokes that make fun of the south or you know in front of West Virginia of course I have I'm not going to put myself on a pedestal but I mean let's you know, it's that come back and think about, just think about it. Like if you haven't been there and you haven't experienced it, give it a shot, like check it out before you totally like diss it, you know? Exactly. And I think like too, we might've made West Virginia jokes before, like, you know, like you do grow and you get insight and you're like, you know what? 
that was funny when I was like 18, 19, you know, oh, they're from West Virginia. But like now, like you get it. Like, I just think that's with maturity and growth and you understand. And, but it is, it's always like disappointing when another adult hasn't got there yet. You know what I mean? And they're like, yeah. oh, and then you're like, wait, what? Like I, in Pittsburgh, there was this running meme where they would take pictures of Bill Murray, like in different movies, and then um, attribute um, a part of Pittsburgh to each picture. And every time they would pick like the shittiest picture of Bill Murray, they would call, they pick this town, part of town called McKee's Rocks. And that's where my dad is from and my mother. They were both born in McKee's Rocks. So, and then they'd do it with another actor and it'd be the most strung out, worst looking. And McKee's Rocks is a town that has been dilapidated by like um, mills closing, addiction. Like it's like a tragic tale. It used to be a thriving community. And finally, after the fifth meme, I, that's like one, one of the few times I get political and I'm like, you know, everybody keeps kicking McKee's rocks in these memes. Like, can we just talk about the tragedy that is McKee's rocks? And we talk about mills closing and people losing their jobs and more of the people are on like in free housing and, and everything's going on and the addiction problem. What's and people are like, yes, Gab, thank you for saying this. And the woman that created the meme was so like, well, I didn't mean it. Like she got so offended. I'm like, I'm just stating a point. Why are you only kicking McKee's rocks? Like it's the only shitty part of Pittsburgh or, you know, like maybe don't. There are people, human beings that live there. My godfather and godmother live there, okay? So not all people who live in McKee's rocks are strung out and zombies, okay? But yeah, like it's just that kind of meanness about where somebody lives or grew up. It's cruel. It's not nice. Yeah. Well, and it's much easier to, it's a lot harder to talk about solutions, right? Or yeah. to work hard to see the good or whatever. It's so much easier to just to, to make the bad jokes or the mean comments or the, you know what I mean? And then people share it or whatever. And again, I'm not gonna, I, I'm sure I've done it as well. And I, you know, but it's, it is harder. It is a harder choice to, to see the good or to try to find out the good, like, you know, I'm going to check out that town. I mean, you know, it's not the best part of town or does it seem the best, but I heard there's a good restaurant. I'm going to go there and see it. That's harder. You know, it's harder to make those choices and, you know, we can just hope for the best and hope that things, you know, people get to that and, uh, you know, hope for the best, I guess. <laughs> oh my gosh. Yeah. I mean, I, I hope for, I wish. Yeah. I think going into therapy is a hard choice. You know, like if they, I think, that's the one thing. And I wonder if you feel this way is like the more therapy you do, the more you get understanding about yourself and why you've done the things you do and how your brain works. And then you can like trade that and be like, oh, well, that's why that person does this. And this person does that. And it does get you to this place of like a little bit, I don't know, you can just see where when people are doing something, you're like, oh, why would, why would you do that? That's, that's not a good decision. That's, you're not in a good headspace to be making. Like you see things now that when you were 20, you didn't know and you would totally do, but now you're like, oh no, see that choice is just you not valuing yourself right now or whatever. It's just wild. And it's hard to watch adults who are older than me who haven't been in therapy and haven't been able to do that work. It's really like, it actually scares me and worries me. I'm like, the whole point of getting older is to become wise. And I find a lot of people who are older than me that aren't wise, you know, they're not, they didn't do it right. They're not paying attention and they're not caring about anyone else other than themselves. There's a total selfishness, I think, in a lot of people and, and the hard work will tear away at that and make you start seeing everybody. Yeah. That, yeah. You know, yeah. And that's, that's a, it's a really harder. And then we talked before about like my mom's generation and all like, as they were older, they didn't even think about therapy or it was, a, I mean, a even bigger stigma. So 
you know, it, and the older we get and more set in our ways, it is hard to make those really tough choices. So, you know, um, I, I give people credit for seeing being self-aware is the first step, right. And then yep. reaching out for the help, or even if it's just a friend or just talking to someone so that you can start working on, on things that are, you know, hurting you or troubling you or whatever. Yeah. Definitely. And don't be ashamed or embarrassed of it. We're all going through something. So if you are, you know, if there's just something in your life that you're like, I can't talk to anyone about it. You can't, there is someone you can talk to. I'm sure of it. I am sure of it. And if you don't have someone, that's the time to get a therapist because you shouldn't just be sitting there like doubting yourself or hating yourself or anything like that. They, they're, they're, please talk to somebody. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. And then there are, I mean, I don't, I can't say, I don't know how good they are, but like, there are a lot of 800 uh, lines for talk therapy. And again, I can't vouch for them. I don't know, but they are out there. So at the very least, maybe making a connection with that, um, you know, or, or like you said, just reach out and, and get a therapist and, and try. And if you don't like that person, try a different one, you know, uh, till you feel comfortable getting the help that you need. Well, I think, Gab, yeah, we could probably talk for about four hours and no joke. So here's the thing I'm going to wrap up and I'm going to ask you if you'd be willing to come back on another time. Definitely. I would love to. Okay. Yeah. Cause I think we could talk and talk and I'd love to. And, and so now we have to start a campaign, get Gab to the electric city. So my listeners who are here in Scranton or the greater Northeastern Pennsylvania area, if you have a school, if you have a need for a comedian. Okay. But the caveat is if Gab gets hired, she has to have me come and open for her. Without <laughs> so a doubt. That's, that's the caveat. There's a comedy festival in LA, um, the Dow Comedy Studio, and it's an all women comedy festival and you should apply to it. So I'll make sure I like tag you on social media because I'm gonna apply. And I did okay. it last year and it's really fun. And the woman who runs it is like everything we're talking about, like punching up, not punching down and good comedy. And she really embraces and lifts up women. Cool. Very cool. Yes. Please tag. I, you know, I've never entered. I'm, I can be lazy. <laughs> I'm a lazy procrastinator and I've never entered any festivals and I see them a lot of times people will share and I never, never do it. It could be partially fear too. Like, Oh, I'm not funny enough, but it's also laziness and procrastination. So yes, please tag me in that. So I, I could check it I out. Didn't, I didn't do it for years. Cause I didn't even have the entry fee to be honest. Like, I just like, I don't have the money for it. I won't have the money to travel. I just can't go. But now I'm like, I'm doing it. I'm doing anything I can. I'll just apply, go do I just want to spread the word. Yes. Good. And we want you to, uh, well, thank you so much for joining me. Like I said, we're going to do this again because it's so easy to talk to you. You're so energetic, but you have a lot to share a lot of great stuff. So check out Gab on Instagram. Gab Bonesso entertains kids, entertains every age imaginable because she's that funny. Uh, I want to thank Gab for joining me and I want to thank you for listening and uh, I, as always, I say, if you enjoyed the show, please share it. Make sure you subscribe. If you didn't like the show, what's wrong with you? No, I'm just kidding. If you didn't like the show, tell your dog or goldfish or private message me so that we can figure out what to work on. I'll be happy to hear about it. But no, I do hope that you enjoyed it. I hope you'll check out next week's episode as well. Thanks for listening. I appreciate it from the bottom of my heart and the bottom of my wine glass.